0: Well, I'll kick off by saying thank you very much, everyone, for coming tonight. It's wonderful always to have events at Blarney. I love coming to them. I love being in them. Um, and a huge thanks to Joe and Dean for hosting tonight. Um, and, it <laughs> and a very warm welcome to our Kiwi friend who is living in Melbourne, Rob R.W.R. MacDonald. So um, I'll let Rob do a bit of a brief in a nutshell what the book's about for those of you who haven't read this glorious piece of work called The Nancys. But before he does that, I'll just give a brief introduction of Rob. So, Rob MacDonald is a Kiwi living in Melbourne with his two daughters and extended family, including Harry Cat, a very gorgeous ginger cat, and Stevie Nicks the Chicken. Rob attended Faber Academy's Writing a Novel Stage 1 and Stage 2, and an excerpt of the Nancys was published in the Faber Writing Academy Writing a Novel Anthology, Alan and Unwin, 2016. Rob realised while studying journalism that writing fiction, rather than reporting facts, was his true bent. The Nancy's was highly commended for an unpublished manuscript uh, award in the 2017 Victoria Premier's Literary Awards. So, a very warm welcome, Rob. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. And thank you, Joe, for um, organising this and Dean. And thank you all for coming out on inclement weather. I really appreciate it. Uh, So... May I ask uh, if I'd just do a brief about the book, um, about the story? So it is a small town New Zealand uh, setting and it's a murder mystery with amateur detectives. So the amateur detectives uh, call themselves the Nancys and it's an 11-year-old uh, girl, Tippy Chan, who has always loved... Uh, mysteries and is a bit of a Nancy Drew super fan and she inherited her uncle's uh Nancy Drew books and her uncle and his boyfriend come over to babysit and uh they form the Nancys so that's without giving away spoilers that's it in a nutshell um there is also uh it's also a story about family um and uh, about grief. So there's a few few different things going on. Um, yeah.
0: And and Rob's being very modest because one of the things I absolutely loved about this book was how funny it was. It's a very entertaining read right from the start. So Rob's got this wicked sense of humour. Um, and, and the use of the 11-year-old protagonist, I think, is particularly... Um, wonderful because you've got all these great jokes and innuendo that goes completely over Tippy's head. And I was sitting on the couch laughing out loud. My husband's kind of having to elbow me saying, I'm trying to watch the cricket, shush, shush. (laughs) (laughs) But um, continually entertaining. And I wanted to ask Rob, the choice of that 11-year-old narrator, how did you come about that? And was that Mm -hmm. always right from the start when you decided to write it? Were you telling it from her perspective from the start?
1: Um. Yes. Uh, so I did explore. So 2006 um, was the when I first uh, came up with the idea, but it wasn't until 2016 that I I started writing the um, draft. So I'd written snippets at the time. Um, yeah, I it was Tippy's voice that came through first. So I had written a. Uh, a film script and these were purely as I was mentioning uh, for my drawer Um, and they were sort of the longest uh, form of story that I'd written before then have been sort of uh, short stories and things always for my own uh, for myself I hadn't ever had anything published and so I'd written a horror script and a Fantasy, And the next one I wanted to try was a murder mystery um, because I always loved that, uh, you know, reading along, trying to solve the, the, the mystery as you go along with the, the amateur detectives. Um, and so as I started writing it, it, it came clear that it was a child. And so then I was thinking, well, what child would be solving a murder? Like, this is uh, highly unusual. And then I realised, okay, it's it's certainly not with her parents um, because they wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, And this was before I became a father myself. Uh, And, yes, no, I wouldn't uh, solve mysteries with my daughters. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, so then, uh, okay, it's an irresponsible babysitter. Okay, it's the uncle who's, you know, one of those uncles. Um, And he's got a new relationship. He's got a boyfriend and they're come home to a hometown that he escaped as soon as he could. So there's all of that in the mix. Um, And so I did think about, okay, can I tell it from the uncle's point of view? Uh, Can I tell it from the boyfriend's point of view? And I sort of quickly realised that it was actually Tippi's story and she's the one driving it. And then when I sort of uh, looked at, okay, uh, and this isn't a spoiler because it, it's within the first chapter but then that her father passed away nine months ago and so she's dealing with the grief and her and her mom and they're kind of not dealing with it um then yeah i i wanted it to be from her and through her eyes um yeah because i, I think if it had been uncle Pike it would have been such a different story and i, I like that idea of Um, Since becoming a father, uh, exploring the world for a child in these times as well, where, you know, it's just everything seems to be up for grabs. And around 2006, when I had the idea, uh, we had like the ISIS beheading videos. You know, the world was so different from when I grew up as a child. And I think that's also why I wanted to have Tippy in that setting, which is quite innocent and it is still, you know, still safe. um, But you've got these awful events that are kind of happening. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a great choice. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more as well. Mm. Um, We we had Taking Tom Murray Home by Tim Slee that came out last year and won the Banjo Award. And that was told from the perspective of a, a young character as well. And, and I just loved that beauty of it, and that simple view that you kind of forget as an adult. Ha, you know how a child would look at things. So it was. I found it really refreshing. Um, having said that, do people ever confuse it with a YA novel or a, a young? Yeah.
1: So it's it's interesting. So I wanted to write the story. I'd had these characters um, uh, for ten years in my head, and you know, anyone who's read the novel just do it. they are quite quite full on. Um, so. <laughs> I wanted to get it out, and this was before thinking that I would get it published or anything like that. I mean, I, w- you know, that was a, a definitely uh, a hope, and I think it's a hope of a lot of writers that, you know, one day would get our story out there. And at the time, and it seems strange now, it was 2016, um, we would have agents come to visit us at Faber Academy, and... There was that thing around YA um, because the protagonist was an 11 year old um, that it would be hard to sell as an adult book. And as you mentioned, now it's almost a sub genre. You know, you've got uh, Emily O'Grady, The Yellow House, um, you know, the Van Affle girls. You know, you've got a, it's just, it seems quite common now. But at the time, yeah, it was seen as a bit of a barrier. Yeah. But I just really wanted to get the story done and sort of worry about that. Yeah. And then um, for anyone who doesn't like swearing, it's probably <laughs> <laughs> not the book for you. Um, <laughs> and look, the, the swearing in it is—it's not from Tippi. Uh, oh, have says it once or twice. But um, <laughs> it was again that sense of wildness and the f- fact that they're doing what they're doing. You know that. And having the uncle who's not really that used to uh, spending time with with an eleven year old child, and doesn't really treat her like a child. Um, so I did cut back as much swearing. So th- I'm just <laughs> saying the swearing's not <laughs> gratuitous; like there is there is thought behind it. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm kind of jumping ahead to the more of the craft stuff, but while I've got you on that, one of the questions I did mm. wonder as I was reading: the editors, did they at all? You know, put the red pen and say there is too much swearing, or how did that? How was that line? Uh, uh,
1: Structural edit, yes, Uh, and that was fair enough, and I I certainly took took it on board. And um, before it even got to that, um, my writers group, you you know, you get different feedback, and there's some people that oh, oh, I don't like that word, (laughs) uh, which was fine. And then uh, Patty O'Reilly, who was one of my um, teachers, she was fantastic, and she said. no more than one c word a chapter and i was was (laughs) like okay that's a good guide i cut it down further from that but um (laughs) yes so there was there was feedback and i think initially maybe it was just you know you get it down and then as you go right down to that word level do i need this word is there a better word Mm. do we need this and i think that's when you start to really cut things out and it did make it better I, it absolutely did by removing a lot of the swearing um yeah, yeah it just changes it in a subtle way and i think it's also you don't want to i didn't want to shock the reader so much that they stopped reading as well that no. was not the intention like i wasn't this wasn't a smartest kind of you know i can put yeah. a whole lot of swear words in a book kind yeah. of thing yeah
0: um and, and i loved the fact that it was the the cozy mystery so um, I've always been a huge fan of the Cozy Mystery. I don't want to see masses and masses of blood and gore on my page because I think we see enough of that as it is. Mm. Um, so that really invited me in. It's got a real warmth to it as well, the story and the writing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the way you came up with, um, with Devon and the way that you came up with Uncle Pike? Did you have people in mind as you were putting together those characters
1: so th- one of the things I wanted to do, um, I guess when I started writing it in 2016, so they they arrived and they were pretty, um, uh, you know, they're, they're very flamboyant characters uh, and they're just themselves, which I, I really uh, love and respect and then uh, one of the motivators, so it wasn't an inspiration, but a motivator for me to actually give it a go and, and try and write a novel was in 2013. Um, and there was an 11 year old boy, just coincidentally 11, um, the same age as Tippy, but he was a boy who, uh, in America, um, Michael Moroni's, who attempted, uh, his mum walked in to his bedroom tried to hang himself and it was because he'd been so severely bullied at school because of his love of my little pony and that was just heartbreaking it was just horrible horrible and I was like whatever I can do to try and celebrate camp and make it cool and just really celebrate the the courage and the bravery it is for you know these camp people who are fantastic and fabulous and just living their life. That's what I wanted to celebrate. So that's why, you know, probably if anything, I might've turned the dial up even more on Uncle Pike and, and Devon. Um, but also I think to, to do what they do and, you know, Tippy's brave, these guys are brave. I wanted to show bravery in different formats as well. Mm. So that's what attracted me to that, yeah.
0: And I think you wrote it well with incorporating the different social issues as well. So, as you said, we've got grief as a social issue. There's a few other ones kind of embedded in there that just slowly reveal themselves as the story goes on. And I think that's really nicely done because I think it is important for novels to have that social awareness, you know, as well as, you know, waving the flag for equal opportunity and, and gay rights and things like that as well. I think that was really nicely done, kind of slipped in there, just under the radar and you find out, you know, reasons for this and reasons for that as the book goes along without being slapped in the face with here's yeah. a lesson and here's a moral and yeah, that's yeah. how it ends. Yeah. yeah.
1: I like that idea of um, like within the, say, the crime genre that they're also of the time and of the the culture and of the society. So I wanted to reflect that. Um And I also wanted to have um, Riverstone, which is the town that it's set in. I wanted it to be in a post-homophobic world. So there isn't any gay bashing, there isn't, you know, they actually, the town's moved on with it, uh, moved on from that. So I wanted it to be this place, which then makes, particularly for Uncle Pike, who hasn't really, you he's still dealing with the trauma of uh, homophobia when he was growing up there, when it was a very different town. For that to be his, you know, because I think it would have been easy if he would come back to town and, you know, there'd still been homophobic people for him not to really have to look deep inside. Yeah. So I wanted to, to explore that. Also, there's a lot of fantastic books out there which already deal with, you know, uh, queer trauma, and I just I wanted as a as a queer person to have a book where we've got queer characters doing other things, but not completely ignore that legacy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. that makes yeah.
0: And um, as we mentioned earlier. Rob's a Kiwi, and the setting for this fantastic book is not far from your hometown. Mm. Um, they always say that, that that every book's got little bits of ourselves in it and we just seed them in without even meaning to. Yep. Um, how much would you say was autobiographical in that coming back home, escaping your hometown, yeah. coming back? Can, you, can yes, you talk about that? Yeah, there's
1: been, <laughs> there's <laughs> been uh, a few questions asked about that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, look... Patty, again, she – Patty O'Reilly said um, if you're going to do a town and name it after the town, then you need to be spot on about, you know, where the streets are, where the playground is, because otherwise readers who who know that town are going to be upset. And so she said, like, if you you give it another name, it also gives you leeway to move geographical things – And that was really good advice, because then I could also play on uh, River Heights, which is Nancy Drew's hometown, which has kind of led to the name Riverstone. Um, So it is based on Balclutha, and Balclutha and South Otago, um, it's a place where I've come back year after year after year because of family being there. And when I was younger, I couldn't wait to escape it. But I didn't have what – I didn't have the experience of Uncle Pike. And I kind of got over it pretty quickly. And each year, I think for me, I needed to head overseas and Mm. to really appreciate home. Um, And once I did that, and then my father uh, moved from the farm and actually lived in Balclutha, so I got to meet um, locals and just fall in love with the place. And uh, now I love coming home and I just, it, it becomes more and more beautiful. I don't know if I'm getting old and nostalgic, <laughs> but I do see a lot of beauty where before I, I just I wouldn't have seen anything, I don't think. It's yeah. yeah. So I think it's growing up, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Um, And that decision to set it in New Zealand as well. Did you ever think to yourself, oh, I'll just do it, you know, a small coastal town near Melbourne because you're close and it would be easier for research purposes just to set it there? Or did the publisher say, you know, maybe you should set it in in Australia?
1: No, so they were, yeah, they were fantastic. When when I sold it, uh, we sold it as is. Um, And for me, I always thought South Otago had, so much potential it's kind of reminiscent of uh england in a way because it's got the rolling green hills and hedgerows and and then you've got this um amazing coastline and uh native new zealand bush as well and yeah it just had all the aspects that i could want for a setting plus you've got the small town and um you know, this amazing bridge and a river, and, you know. Uh, so, I, w- yeah, and, and maybe because I came to writing, you know, actually writing this at a, a more mature age, um, I didn't feel like, I think if I'd written it maybe in my 20s, I'd think, oh, it needs to be in America and you know what I mean? Yeah. It, by this stage, I was like, no, why don't I use this as the setting? Like, it's got everything I need. Plus, I know it so well that that would actually be an advantage to having to learn a whole new place where I don't have any kind of emotional connection. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think that works really well. You can, feel the, you can feel the love for the town in the book as well, even yeah. though it is a fictional town, but I feel mm. like you can feel that, that real love of setting. Oh, so I think that's worked well. Um, so take us back to Rob McDonald as a kid. Did you read Nancy Drew novels? Is that w- was <laughs> that the, the whole the whole emphasis uh, there?
1: I read a lot, so I read a lot and I read very widely. Um, so yes, I, I my I my sister had Nancy Drew. I read Nancy Drew. I read um, oh. Because we're on the farm, you know, I'd get books out from the library, but then I'd go through those and then so it would, you know, whatever else was in the house. Um, And my mum was a big reader, so, you know, she would get books and um, so quickly sort of went on to to her books as well. Um, There was a good thread on on Twitter uh, about books that we read that we probably shouldn't have when we're like <laughs> 11 or 12 and I remember coming across um Sydney Sheldon oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, um so <laughs> so yeah so I, I was yeah so I wasn't like a I wasn't like um Uncle Pike and Tippy a, a, a super Nancy Drew fan but she was part of the fabric along with the Hardy Boys and you know um the Enid Blyden books and C.S. Lewis, like, you know, it was just, uh, and I see that now in my daughter. She reads, uh, you know, at quite a, quite a pace, um, which is great. So I don't want to limit what they read. Obviously, you know, there's some, like, I don't want them reading Sidney Sheldon. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and then, uh, you know, getting into Stephen King and. Yeah,
0: know, yeah. And have the girls tried to read the book have they had a well crack? i've
1: said no yeah uh, i've told them i don't want them reading it yet <laughs> i don't know because it's at their other houses so i'm sure um, yeah yeah um but no uh i i would want them to be a little bit older before they read it yeah yeah um but I, you know
0: i'm sure they'll be absolutely <laughs> chafing at the bit yeah. <laughs> to get to it and very proud as well Because you've got an 11-year-old and is Ali 13 or 12? 12, 12 and and eleven. So perfect really to have that similar age as well.
1: Yeah, so they were fantastic. I didn't want to um, plagiarise their childhood. (laughs) So I didn't want to like steal lines and things that they did and then uh, fictionalise it. But they were fantastic for running dialogue and saying, would you use this word? And then they say, what is that word? What do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> okay, I need to take that out. Um, so they've been brilliant, really, really good. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I was so lucky to have them um, through this process. So I need to quickly write the second and third <laughs> book before they, uh, yeah, before they get too old. Yeah. Oh,
0: fantastic. Um, and so we'll go back to, um, when you are writing the book, and can you tell us about the writing course that you did? So that was linked to Alan Unwin, isn't it? There's an intrinsic tie between the Faber Academy and Alan Unwin.
1: Yeah, so Faber Academy, it's – so the the course I did is writing a novel – oh, they call it now part one, part two, but it was basically a course to help you write a first draft of a novel. And it's hosted within Alan Unwin. Um but saying that, uh, which is fair enough because my book's published by Alan Normanman, that's not a pathway to publication, but if you've done this course, they will keep an extra eye on your your draft. So it's a you part one's three months and then part two is three months. Um, I was incredibly lucky to have um, alternating uh, working in tag team. Tony Jordan and Patty O'Reilly, and they are just fantastic. And so you're learning sort of um, like you would in a creative master's degree, um, but with a lot of practical industry um, uh, as well. So we would have an editor come in and talk to us, an agent, um, you know, an author, we'd get to understand a little bit about the the whole industry, which, you know, when I was coming in 2016, I had no idea. I mean, you don't. All I knew was, you know, from uh, being a reader. So that was invaluable. And then one of the key things was also within our group getting um, feedback on our writing. So the very first time, uh, so we would have to share with the group uh, 1,500 to 2,000 words and would do that three times during the three months. And the first time was horrifying because we had to <laughs> read it out as well. And I had never, uh, there'd been a couple of close friends who had read some of my small writing, but that was it. So I'd never shared it. So I had no idea how this was gonna go across. And of course there was swearing in it and um, I was just like red and sweating. But it ended up, and Patty and Tony had told us at the beginning, this is gonna be something that you're gonna love and you're gonna really enjoy. And by the end it was, because you're getting really constructive feedback for the first time in your life on your writing. So yeah, it ended up being a huge gift, but it was horrifying to begin <laughs> with, like, I cannot, <laughs> yeah. Because you're just exposing yourself and you've got no idea what kind of answer you're gonna get.
0: Yeah. So um, Joe hosted the Tony Jordan um, author talk. It was a few months ago now, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, has a fantastic range of guests at this place. Um, and she seemed very switched on and, and oh. very knowledgeable about the industry. Yeah. So you'd oh. recommend to other people that were thinking of writing to oh. do a course like oh, that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't recommend Faber high enough. So and uh, my classmate was uh, Catherine Kovacic, so portrait of Molly Dean and painting in the shadows and she has another book coming out in March so she was the first one of us to get published Um, but it's just a really safe fantastic place to um, yeah push ahead with your writing for me I could never sort of I needed that external motivation to to get along and, and get through the draft. Plus I had no idea how to write a novel. Like I'd never written one before. So to have that advice and guidance was just absolutely critical. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. We were talking earlier before um, the start about trying to carve out time for writing. You've got a job that's pretty demanding Mm. and you've got two children as well. How do you cut up time? Rob, are you a morning person? You're an evening <laughs> person, a weekend yeah. all night person?
1: Um yeah. So <laughs> so um I so with the Nancy's um uh public transport, so uh, my you know, on a, as long as it's for a decent amount of time. So I'm commuting to Burwood at the moment, so You know, I'm going from Flinders Street to Box Hill, which is about 40 minutes maybe, or half an hour, 40 minutes. But through that, I can do editing. Um, Otherwise, you know, the odd lunch break, particularly when you're on a roll, um, and then at night, and then the weekends. Like, that's how it is at the moment. I am this year gonna be taking six months off, uh, unpaid leave. So I'm hoping, uh within that time to really try and push ahead and get um, a decent draft because for me um, it's the more you're in the story the more connections you're making the more you want to write the more that you can get down on the page but sort of starting and stopping uh, yeah it's 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 hard so what we did with Faber, and this was sort of a practice that I try and uh, keep up, particularly going through a first draft, is actually setting a weekly word count. Oh, yeah. So saying, okay, this week I want to get, and and I should say that from Faber, you know, we formed a writing group with, with my classmates, and so we still check in on each other. So I'd say, okay, this week I want to get 5,000 words done. And then we check in with each other after a week. How did you go? Yeah, got it. Uh, close because if i did a daily one just with my life it just wouldn't work out and then that way you're also for me i'm not setting myself up for failure because uh, you know it's like the gym or whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) you miss a day (laughs) and it's like uh, yeah so what about for you with with time so
0: um when i wrote wildflower ridge we were building a house at the at the time so i'd be doing house building stuff and then at the evenings, we'd come and we'd do our hour of power. My husband, would doing his uni studies and I'd be doing, you know, my writing. Um, and, that, and that's changed in this the draft of the book that's coming out in June. I actually um, was working part-time. So, I'd do a little bit before I started work for the day. So, if I was starting work at 10 o'clock, I'd managed to get an absolute goldmine of work done between that 8.30 when the kids go to school and that 10 o'clock when yeah. I was going to start work. And yeah. then sometimes I'd find when I had the whole day, I'd faff around. I'd have a quick <laughs> look on Facebook, yeah. which would turn into a long look at different social media sites. And it's yeah. very easy to be distracted when you've got the whole day every day yeah, right. to work on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, my mornings are my best writing time yeah. um, because yeah. I've got a few contract jobs that I can shuffle around. But um, yeah, 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 I yeah. don't, I don't do the late night. my brain's shut down by the time so i'm impressed that you can manage that well yeah
1: i can do morning and then you're right and then uh, maybe nine o'clock for another but then you go to bed and your head's kind of but then i find if i do do that if i do do that sort of nine to say 11 then in the morning when i'm in the shower i have that oh okay so this is why this is this and then this goes there and yeah and then you're drying yourself quickly trying to make sure <laughs> you, you, you make a note of it. Because if I do not make a note and I just like make a note on the phone or whatever, then, yeah, the chances of forgetting it are high. And then that's really super annoying. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so as we mentioned earlier, Rob's um, novel or manuscript was shortlisted in the Premier's Literary Awards. Tell us how that came about. So had you gotten an agent by that stage or had you just decided I'm going to make that a deadline and, and write to it?
1: Yeah, so um, I had so we were told in favor one, one of the things that we should do is to enter you obviously you have to check the you know the terms and conditions, but is to enter unpublished manuscript awards. Because of the deadline thing, so it pushes you to get a draft ready. Um, also, you you never know who's reading, mm-hmm. who's reading it. Um, and so, I had into I did the Bath one, and then I done uh, I done I did um, uh, KYD, and like it heard nothing. And the Victorian premieres was coming up, and I was like, oh okay. So um, just before that, uh, I I think it was up to the third draft um, by this stage, and that's the other thing, you sort of, a little bit of horror when I think back to the earlier drafts, because when I first finished my first draft, I was like, yep, this (laughs) is it, this is done. And just to give you an idea, by the time it went on submission to the publishers, that was draft eight, but at that stage I had no idea. I was just like, yeah. So anyway, I'd done draft three. Uh, one of my writing group um, people had read it, and she said, "I think your people have got the wrong murderer." And I was <laughs> like, "What?" And I had to think about it and I looked through, and I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, you're right. There's it, it actually this other person." So I was busy <laughs> redrafting and writing that, and I'd got sort of the first half done. And then the deadline came up. So, then I had to kind of Frankenstein <laughs> this draft, which still had the old murder. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't have time. So, I sent it off just as a practice. Yeah. And then – and I know it sounds cliche, but I did forget about it. I didn't even think I'd, you know, hear back because, you know – and then I was just kept working on the actual real draft. So, um so i was traveling for work so i work uh, at a uni in uh, international education so i'd been overseas and um, i just turned on my email we just landed in singapore on the way home and um, i got a phone call and it was from one of my writing buddies saying you've been so i've been i was highly commended so there was three shortlisted two highly commended and then out of those shortlisted, Christian White was the the winner with um, his fantastic book. So, and I thought, highly commended. I, at this stage, I didn't know there was only two of us. So I thought, you know, it was like everyone gets a gold star, <laughs> you know, whatever. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. And, and then my friend was like, no, nah, this, is, this is actually really serious. So it was actually through that, that Grace um, Heifetz, who – was at Curtis Brown at the time, contacted me about uh, you know, becoming my agent. So it really that was that was the Kickstarter. And yeah, and when I think back about it, you know, thank goodness I put that manuscript in because, you know, i d- we might not be sitting here talking there. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And that would be a shame. <laughs> <laughs> um and so from there um you've got agents calling you asking to represent what a lovely position to be in oh
1: amazing yeah
0: um and then how did it go from there to getting your publishing contract with Alan Unwin? yeah
1: so grace uh, so i signed with grace i met grace uh and we fell in love um <laughs> she's fantastic uh and so she uh, as an agent she um works with her authors and she provides editorial feedback so at a at a very high level she doesn't do you know copy editing but she would do have you thought about this or what if you know uh, so suggestions like that which was great so and then what she also did was she sent um, so this might have been about draft five by this stage um, off to a new york agent and a UK agent purely to get their feedback and that was invaluable like that really really I mean it was yeah it was a real gift so from that um, just get working on working on it and then it went on submission and for anyone who's been on submission um, will know as <laughs> you do mad, that it is the worst like <laughs> you've spent two years or sometimes even longer on something and you've got no control, and this is it. Like, if a publisher turns your, your work down, you don't get a second shot at it. That's it. So, yeah.
0: So, what did you do to pass the time, the nervous waiting time? And, and how long did you have between when you knew that they were interested and when the acquisitions meeting was?
1: So, I l- – like, looking back on it, I was very lucky. Uh, so, I think within – three weeks we had an offer
0: yeah
1: but that was an agonizing three weeks <laughs> and and look i know for some people you know it's, it's a lot longer so I, i'm actually really grateful but at the time you just and so uh the advice is that I oh, you should get ahead and um you know just start writing write something which is fine except for me, this is a trilogy. And so I was like, well, I want to get in and write the second one. But if the first one's not picked up, then what am I going to do with that? But <laughs> I sort of came to this realisation, I just got to write this out because I've got to get it out of my head. I want to finish Tippy's story. So, yeah, so I just sort of tried to write. But as you know, you're refreshing your email like crazy. Yep. And then uh, got some really nice rejections, uh, which was fine. So we got it sent out to ten, 10 publishers, and a lot of the rejections were based on they didn't know where it would sit on a shelf. Like they don't know what the companion books would be, but they you know really enjoyed it. Good luck, li- you know it was nice. They'd actually read it and they you know said um, some nice things. So it wasn't it wasn't terrible and then once i had the one offer you could sort of breathe a bit and then uh got the alan run one offer towards the end so then it was then this you know glorious position of being able to try and work out which is the best fit and uh yeah yeah so um, yeah very very grateful <laughs> for sure
0: Can you tell us what you did when you got the phone call? Was there happy dancing? Was it an email? Was it um, Uh, champagne and party time? It was
1: was a, um, yeah, so Grace rang me. I was at work. So, yeah, it was just kind of hushed conversation out (laughs) in the hallway. (laughs) Um, But no, no, very, very happy. And then I got to go and have a meeting with each of the publishers before we decided. Um, so that was pretty surreal. Like,
0: did they wine you and dine you? Are we talking champagne uh, and oysters? No, and I or you can.
1: Th- I think I might have got a coffee, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's just it's incredibly sort of uh, surreal and flattering all at the same time. Plus, you just sort of like, is this even happening? Um, so it was good. And um, look, there's such great um, material out on the the internet and podcasts and things so um you know you kind of uh, i was listening to all the, you know what should i prepare for the meeting and you know what questions should you ask and you're still one that you're just kind of like starstruck struck really but um <laughs> yeah they were just yeah they were they were very very generous with their time i felt and um incredibly kind as well yeah it's not like the movies where you think they're just going to be quite scary or yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, no, no, no. Joking, joking.
0: Oh, excellent. Um, and then the the whole literary scene is not quite a huge moneymaker. But did you do anything special with your advance? Did you say that's the fund that I'm going to go for the trip to Africa with, or is, is there anything <laughs> anything special that you do with your advance? Yeah,
1: look, I did. I paid off the balloon payment on my car, so that was <laughs> nice, and. I had been promising my kids uh, bunk beds for uh, probably two years, maybe three years. Poor <laughs> Greer, my youngest, had been sleeping in an IKEA toddler bed, <laughs> and she was then like nine or ten. Like I don't know how she did it. Like she just would yeah. curl up. So yes, so I, I splashed out and got the king single uh, bunk beds. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was that was pretty much it, gone. Yep, that's yeah, that's
0: gone. I've heard some interesting stories about people with their different advances and there was this really neat thread on, um, I think it was on Twitter or Facebook, and, and they were talking about someone who had a quarter of a million dollar advance and she blew yeah. it. And I thought, a quarter of a million dollar no. advance? I think she's living in a completely different publishing world no. to uh, anyone yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, but then i've heard other people buying you know a, a snake skin shoes that they would never normally afford like a little splurge yeah. item mine i bought myself my first lot of shares so, um, oh wow woo! <laughs> it's pretty you exciting got a good <laughs> no yeah. uh, small shares <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the questions that i wanted to ask did you have a joke tester because there's so many funny jokes through did you have to run them past anyone like a stand up comedian sit here Listen to these jokes, and if you don't laugh, it's not making it into the book. Or
1: no, no, no that was a good idea. No, oh. I mean, it, it, they'd gone through workshopping with my friends, um, but no, no, I didn't think of that. Uh, no, I was just um, just following the characters, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if anything, I had to rein them in a bit um, <laughs> because there was one scene, and they were just chatting for most of it i was like actually we need some action and (laughs) you need to be solving a case so yeah i found when i was i was doing the sort of the drafts and particularly the first drafts or writing the first scene just to let them run free and then kind of edit afterwards and also i guess having that benefit of i'm sort of finding it it takes me at least two years i think to write a book um just I don't know, that's what I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only on the writing the second one at the moment. But it is that thing of when you've been to a party or someone said something really rude to you or something and then, you know, a day later you think, ah, oh, I should have said that. Yeah. So having that benefit of time and going over it and over it and then having that shower moment where it's like, ah, that's the line of dialogue. Yeah, so I think that certainly helps, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah neat. Um, and so some people are really big picture editors and they can look at the whole structure of a book and they can go, okay, well, that should be happening in Chapter 6 and we won't do this until that. Do you plot your books out much? Because the course would have some great framework, but now with Book 2 that you're working on, what's your little s- process, little big, big process? Uh,
1: so... Confession time, I am a complete pantser. So for me, so I, particularly like in my first draft, I write, I don't write sequentially. So I know this bit here and I know this bit here and I know this bit there, and then this is what must happen to get here. So I kind of, that's my process. However, writing, crime and a murder mystery you need to be quite structured and plotting. So what I use is uh, so once I've, I've done a bit of that, um, I use a, a spreadsheet with a Excel spreadsheet with a calendar month. and then within that I start to plot okay well I know this happens at the beginning, so I just pick an arbitrary day. Okay, and this is two days later. So this is where this happens, and this happens. This is where the murder is. What? Uh, and then from there, I just start matching drafts and working out what's missing. Um, okay, on this day they're doing ten things. That's a really big day, <laughs> and I don't. I think I, you know, I'm going to have to move something around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I found was the the best for me. I I tried. S- Grivner, yeah, yeah. I tried that at the beginning, so it's a, a word processing um, tool for writers, uh, which you know has these kind of corkboards and things. Uh, I don't know. I just it didn't sort of gel for me. I I, I just use Word and and the spreadsheet. Yeah. And then, it, like I say, I take a lot of notes, so I have notes kind of everywhere. Um, but I also use uh, Michael Hague's yep. um, six-act six structure. So that's kind of its backbone or DNA, I guess. Um, and then towards the end, there was the, you know, you have see it in movies and that, people with, you know, yeah, all stuff all, all over, on. yeah, all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, I had to do that just to kind of visualise and, and move things around. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a combo. But, yeah, it, I'm sort of a pantser that's working in a genre that you need to be a really good plotter. So yeah. Yeah, which yeah. has been good. I mean, it's, it's helped me learn to sort of plot, particularly after that discovery after draft three. So I didn't <laughs> want that for the, the you know, finding I had the wrong murderer. So for book two, I didn't want to do that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, one of the little subplots that I really liked was um, the Miss Showgirl, um, show queen, is yeah, Miss yeah. Showgirl, um, with the, the country show. And um, Uncle Pike and his boyfriend, Devon, take it upon themselves, bless their cotton socks, to make over the girl next door. And I thought that was a really lovely little subplot as well. Um, was that a lot of fun to write? Did you have times where you thought, Oh, this is way over the top, but really, it's actually quite true. The, the <laughs> way that someone would go about
1: that. Yeah. So there were there was a, a few scenes that were cut, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and so part of that was I wanted to show Devon and Uncle Pike, you know, that this is their world yeah. and their skill set. Um, so it was a way to do that as well as sort of mm-hmm. Melanie, who's the next-door neighbour, she lost her mum two weeks before Tippy. So there's kind of this sort of parallel, um, almost sister relationship with those two. Um, and also I wanted to have a character that was sort of almost a mirror for Uncle Pike. So Melanie gives it back as good as you yeah. know, she gets. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a huge amount of fun. And, yeah, there were, like I mentioned, there were some scenes that I unfortunately had to cut, which was fair enough because, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have got to the mystery. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, can you reveal any more details about what's happening in book two? Because I'm really keen to find out what's going to happen. With the, or is it all very hush-hush, top secret?
1: Um, so, Yes book um
0: another murder mystery or yes is it a
1: well yeah there's um yeah this there's, there's definitely uh another mystery Excellent. um because the my publisher hasn't read it as i can't oh, yes, probably so yeah you know, she might not like <laughs> what i've done with it um yeah let's just say everything uh that we know about the Nancy's at the end of book one gets blown up.
0: Oh, excellent. Watch this space, folks. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much time we've got left because I wasn't smart enough to pack a watch. Um, <laughs> but the cover, I think you guys can all agree that this beautiful cover stands out on a bookshelf. Um, and I think eye catching alone. Um, You've got to be pleased with that. Rob, tell us your thoughts um, on the whole process with the the cover selection. And and, and you actually got to have a bit of a choice and a say in things, which is pretty um, exciting. Yeah,
1: so um, I was very lucky. Um, So Alyssa Danalo uh, designed the cover and uh, Jane Palfreman, my publisher, asked me what did I think – did I have any ideas for the cover of the book? And I said that I was quite keen on uh, something along the lines of 60s graphic art. So if you think uh, A Clockwork Orange or – so I'd sent her through a few examples. I didn't want – so with a lot of crime books recently, very dark or black or, you know, there's smoke from, you know, and there's a – shadowy figure and all of that (laughs) i I didn't want that and i also wanted um once you know the book and you can cover the title and still know what book that is so it was a pretty tall order and i also said to jane no bridges because there's you know bridges quite (laughs) there i said i don't no bridges no bridges at night no bridges with steam (laughs) no bridges in the background so she's all right okay no bridges um so anyway she came back with all these um uh different uh variations and one of them was the eyes but it was a it was dark red and black and white that was it uh so it was one of the three that we picked and then i hadn't seen anything until she showed me that i was just like whoa yeah, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a, a real gift um, because it's done really well on Instagram. There's been people who have bought it just because they love the cover. That's cool. I'm okay <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, so no, it, honestly, I could not have been happier. It's, it's beyond my expectations.
0: Yeah. So the first time that I ever heard of this RWR McDonald was when I was getting ready for my book um, to be launched into the world so it would have been a couple of months into last year and alan and unwin sent out um newsletters to people that are on their blogging list and and whatnot their reviewers about so i got the april newsletter today so they work you know for four months in advance and so i've been eagerly awaiting these different signs of oh look here comes wildflower ridge as i'm sure you would have been for the Nancys. And when the email came through, it was this fantastic bright pink with eyes. (laughs) And I'm like, who the hell is this? (laughs) The Nancy's. So I was really impressed with it right from the start. It caught my wow. eye, and I wanted to find out more. <laughs> so, um, so I was very impressed and, and jealous that you got some consultation as well with the cover. That was very it impressive. Did, yeah. So what was yeah. your? No, this is your oh. cover, Maya. Oh, really?
1: <laughs>
0: so, and I said, oh, well, what? What you know? We could change this. What about that? Here, let me just use some Photoshop, and I'll put some different hair on that girl because it's a bit too windy looking for me. No, Maya, this is your cover. Okay, excellent.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Because when I first saw Wildflower uh, Ridge, I was thinking, "Oh, that that must be what Maya looks like." <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I've had um, one person say, "Is that you on the cover, Maya?" No, no, that's definitely not me. <laughs> right. But it's interesting because the the marketing team at a publishing house. They work so hard to know exactly what their market is, don't they? Yeah. And they know yeah. what's going to look good on bookshelves, yeah. what's going to look fresh. And so I think we've both been really lucky. Absolutely. After I got off my shock of, you know, it wasn't, it didn't have any pink in it like I was expecting. No, pinks and purples. Yeah. Uh, as soon as my head got used to the fact that that's what the cover was, I was absolutely delighted with it. And yeah. it's, it's yeah. really interesting the way they can interpret your own
1: historian oh absolutely and there's a a whole science to you know how they design it and what you know what gets picked up and yeah yeah so yeah as soon as i sort of gave the suggestions that was it i stood back because that's not my area yeah
0: absolutely um one of the things that i've really liked and i know that you've been great at is the whole author community so there's been a really good uh, i think supportive group of other debut authors but also Mm. that that lovely feeling of the established authors that have come on and just said, "Here you go, let's let's um, you know give a shout out to Rob who's got his first novel out." And was did you expect that type of um, camaraderie? Um,
1: not well, I didn't know what to expect. is yeah. uh, And it has been just phenomenal. And I guess we're now lucky and privileged to be in the position this year to then be able to support the debut authors coming through but no it's been brilliant like a, and I guess that's one of the other things is getting to to meet all these um, authors and and talk about writing and yeah it's been, you know getting to stay at mayor's house has been brilliant um yeah so no I didn't I honestly didn't know what to expect I didn't know and also that impact when you get your first review and your first, you know, reader, reaching out and, you know, all these first that you don't even, you sort of don't think of when you're, you know, just in there writing. Um, so it's just been incredible, really amazing journey, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll wrap it up in a second because I'm sure there's some fantastic questions from the audience. But um, two things I wanted to touch on. Where mm. do we find you, Rob, if we want to come and stalk your beautiful Harry cat photos? Yes. Because it is a very nice ginger <laughs> cat. Um, where do people find you?
1: So uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram uh, and I also have a Facebook author page. But if you go at R.W.R. MacDonald, uh, you'll find me. So, yeah, please connect and I'll be following you back. Um, yeah, and we also wanted just to touch on at the moment there is – a hashtag uh, authors for fires auction, which is running on Twitter. Um, both mayor and myself have had items in and have been bidding furiously, <laughs> but there's some incredible things there. So even if you're not normally on Twitter, it's it's pretty easy to, to make an account. Um, but authors across Australia and international authors are offering all kinds of um, fantastic deals. Um, and all the money raised is going to uh, the CFA, and there are some authors who are saying their donation can go towards, say, um, the wires, or, or, uh, but it's all for Australian um, bushfire relief. And wonderful Joe is now the proud owner <laughs> of a part <laughs> half a ferret. <laughs> which will be appearing in my second book. So thank you, Joe, for that.
0: So Rob had the brilliant idea to to auction off the um, the name of a character in his novel for for book two, and it just took off like wildfire. Because how often do you have the chance to uh, possibly have your own name and know that that character or or um, Setting is named after you, so that was really amusing to watch that all pan out.
1: Yeah, and it quickly morphed into then the people <laughs> wanted to name the ferret, and then uh, there's been an additional ferret added and also a schnauzer <laughs> called Hugo. <laughs> so I said to my publisher, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to add these in, but I mean, <laughs> there it's wonderful. And that auction item, um, we've ended up raising 2,600 on that one, so which is amazing. Thanks. Uh, so um but yes please please check it out hashtag uh, authors for fires. uh it's running till 11 p.m tomorrow night
0: and there's manuscript assessments for the writers in the room at the moment so there's all sorts of some
1: amazing uh collections of books for all our readers yeah no it's a a really good one
0: and dinner with some really cool authors as well there's one that i bid on today which was a a dinner with Sally Hepworth, Kirsty Manning, Lisa Island, uh, Vanessa Carnavale it's, yeah. Sarah Bailey? Uh, like Sarah Bailey, Bailey. Yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. And Kevin Rudd has got um, <laughs> Ice Vovos and a cup of tea. And, te- and his books, of and course. His books, and, his and his books, books. Yeah. And his yeah. books. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So some fantastic initiatives. It's really nice to be part of. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've talked your ears off enough. Who's got some questions for Rob?
1: Has anyone got anything they've been or dying Maya. to ask? What may I? So it's uh, a great question. I so in two thousand and seven, my f- uh, first daughter was born. And then in 2008, my second daughter. Um, So that kind of took a bit of time. Um, uh, And then what happened was, I think maybe 2012, I started a Master of Business Administration. So I was working uh, with the kids. I'm part of a rainbow family, so we co-parent. So I'd sort of carved out time between family, work, and study. So it was actually when I finished my study in 2015, into 2015, I wanted to then, I'd never prioritised my writing, so I wanted to try and use that time, rather than it kind of getting dissolved and disappearing, uh, into writing, and that's when I found favour. Meanwhile, I'd written little snippets or little scenes of these characters, so they'd been developing and i guess um you know i've been sort of asking those story questions why and where they come from and who's this who their parents and and sort of all of that so i think i was lucky when i started writing in 2016 all the character work or that all of that had been done so it was really about writing the story um where some of my classmates were writing something brand new so they were all, you know, they were having to, um, I guess, explore that. So in a way it was a benefit having that incubation um, but also I just wanted, like, I needed them out of my head as well <laughs> which is why I kind of also want write, to write the stories but also, um, and not giving away too much Joe, but I want to get um, justice for, for Tippi's family. And I guess because they've been in my head for such a long time, they feel quite real or uh, quite a part of me. Um, so I feel uh, almost an obligation now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And what was your second question?
1: Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the Nancy's follows the, the rules, although it breaks a few of them <laughs> um, deliberately. So A Cozy Mystery is – it's usually an amateur detective. Uh, it's set in a – like a coastal town or, or a geographical setting that's small. Uh, there's usually no swearing. Um, <laughs> there's no violence or blood. The, the body – the murder takes place off – Camera. Yeah, off <laughs> camera. Um, so if you think – Ye- yeah. yeah. So yeah, Miss Marple. Um, even Fisher. yeah, even Poirot, Franny, Franny Fisher. Ch- um, yeah, yeah. Murder She Wrote. Right, that's yeah. an excellent one. Yeah, So yes. So those those amateur detectives, they usually have some kind of relationship with the police, but it's an amateur detective um, trying to solve it. Um, yeah. So they call it a cozy. So. I think that term was invented around with Agatha Christie around um, her time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that's that's when we, we talk about a cosy. So, um, um, I guess we, you know, a murder mystery. But, um, yeah, it just doesn't have that gore or, the or, or like a, a police you. procedural or something like that. Yeah.
0: It's not going to keep you awake at night worrying with every scratch at your window or anything like that. Like some of the other novels, you know, you kind of <laughs> – on edge the whole time you're reading it. It's got a lot more warmth yeah. to it as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's true. And there's usually a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have
0: you got any more questions? Yes.
1: Yeah, so all emerging writers and... All of us, it was it was quite interesting. We were all in our forties uh, or fifties. I think we had one youngin who was <laughs> maybe twenty four or I uh, uh, twenty four or twenty seven. Um, so a lot of us, we were all in the same boat. Where we've always loved writing, we've never prioritized it. We've always written for ourselves. None of us, I think, had had anything published. And we just were at that crunch time where we felt like, okay, we've got to actually give this a go and um, prioritize it and see what happens. So it was wonderful. We're all, yeah, and like I said, we're all still uh, in contact and, and, you know, helping out each other. And, um, yeah, I'm actually off to um, – so uh, Jeannie Green, uh, she's having her – First launch on Sunday, so I'm going along to that. Um, so she's one of my classmates. Yeah, so um yeah, it was wonderful. So we were all very much the same and all incredibly scared about workshopping and yeah. And and the interesting thing was, it was all, so it was ten of us, but it was uh, everything from crime through to literary fiction. So everyone was working on different things, and because we were meeting up once a week, we could follow their stories and how they were progressing, which was just a wonderful gift. It was almost like, you know, you're sort of reading along at the same time and getting to discuss it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: I've just remembered one of mine. Yes. Um, podcasts. I love yeah. a good podcast. I know Jo does a fantastic podcast. I've tuned her into a few of her episodes um, of events here. The first time podcast was just the perfect timing for our novel being released because it's a a podcast about the first time you publish a book and it's done by two authors who have got a book out, one that had their book out at the time, the other one who was going through the process. Um, And so I found that a fantastic resource to listen to um, when I'm out for a walk, cleaning the house, doing that type of thing. And I was delighted to see Rob's name pop up on the guest list that he had managed to score an interview. Yeah. How yeah. was that? Was that actually daunting going in there after listening to it and loving this
1: podcast? Uh, it was amazing because, yeah, like Maya said, it's, it came on at, at such the, the perfect time. Like uh, Catherine Collette's book came out. So we were following her journey and as she was heading towards the launch and everything. Uh, even when they she talked about when she was on submission so it felt like you know you weren't doing this alone yeah yeah and um, so to get to be on the program was yeah it was it was kind of pretty surreal uh, but fantastic I mean yeah. they're just the nicest people they're really great and so it was it was quite exciting to get to talk to her um, yeah because the you, I don't know about you but like every time the episode would come up and like you'd listen to it straight away and the night before my launch i was listening to them um you know because you sort of had that pre-launch nerves because you don't know if anyone's going to turn up and (laughs) it's you know it's a huge party and this is your first kind of you know on the stage uh event um yeah, and they're just incredibly generous, lovely, lovely people. So, um, yeah, it was it was a thrill to be on it, for yeah. sure.
0: And do you have any other writing podcasts that you recommend to anyone who likes uh, Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, there's so many great ones there uh, and I've been listening. So, uh, Josh Pomari, yeah. J.P. Pomari. He and he's
0: coming back. Sorry to interrupt, uh, isn't yes, he? Yes, good plug. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for and the clearing his new his new book yeah. Mark that so in your diary. Yes, sorry. he's <laughs> a fellow Kiwi. Kiwi in Melbourne, um, yeah. So he's got a great one. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think. There's like the Garrett and yeah. um,
0: Have you listened to the uh, "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast? Have you yeah, liked that
1: one? I've listened to yeah some of those. So yep. the Australian Writers Centre's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, they're really really great. Um, yeah, and then there's like the ABC Book Show. I mean, there's so many that you can, if you've missed it, you can um, just look up and read. What about yourself? Yeah. Do you have a few favourite?
0: That's So You Want to Be a Writer. I started listening to right. that when I decided I was going to take a writing course and, and write a book. And, yeah. and I found that fantastic because it did talk about the steps that other people took and what worked for them and what didn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no formula or as we'd all be bestsellers. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> but um, there's some great lessons that I found yeah. could be learnt and avoided um, the way that you go about some things. But uh, Talking Aussie Books is another really nice one. It's only half an hour and she interviews the author. She's always read the book and some of the podcasts that are, you know, the more um, people have to pay to be on that you don't, just having uh. a talk sometimes behind the scenes you don't realise that yeah. some of the uh, podcasts people have to pay to be on. Um, but, but this one, yeah, you can tell she's always read every book and, yeah, there's some really great resources out there. If people yeah, can.
1: oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously when we're writing, we're on our own for a fair bit, so to be able to hear other people's experiences, uh, yeah, it's it's invaluable, I think, yeah.
0: Mm. And having great bookstores to come into and yes. great libraries to that love authors and open up their doors and invite people in. It's and great people who would come
1: along to the yeah. events. So thank you very much.
0: Beautiful. Uh, any other questions? Any last-minute ones? Uh, so you can harass Rob by the wine stand, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 oh, beautiful. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming thank down you here, Rob. Yeah. It's wonderful. Thank and you uh, very much. Thank you guys again for coming.